I am so very, very excited about this. I was talking to James Crone earlier, and James says I'm about being nervous. I said, yes, I'm always nervous on Christmas and uh, Easter. Those are the big, big services. We call it Resurrection Sunday here. But James says, no, 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 not, not today's service, but what's happening Thursday. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm nervous about that too. So I'm going in for a heart ablation uh, on Thursday, dark 30, and uh, Dr. Lagutiches, the MD, and... You know, they're doing, what, hundreds of thousands of these things now. So, yeah, all is well. So, um, certainly, I don't like anybody cutting on me and uh, shots and all those things. So, but pray for me on Thursday. I'll go in 5 a.m. And my instructions are don't anything the night before, the day before, and lay still for four hours and go home. And the good news is that Lisa and the kids are going to wait on me hand and foot, and it's going to be great. And I'm just... Get me another bowl of ice cream, please. I'm hungry. More Pop-Tarts, please. By the way, pray the doctors don't say anything about diet, because that's none of their business, really, when you think about it. Why, why didn't you buy my diet? So, anyway, uh, Thursday, big day for me. So, all right. Uh, much to share. Now, we've got a lot of people here for the first time. Thank you. It means more than I can describe that you're here. Uh, I do want to ask you... Uh, or let you know that you are free to take the Lord's Supper with us. We don't require membership uh, for you to partake in that. Uh, we, we do, we, we, we want you to know that you're going to be loved and accepted here. Uh, the other is, um, we are free to talk. We're free to exchange uh, truth and scripture and questions. We, I want you to talk. I want you to take ownership of what's going on in the service. So, so if you hear somebody talking, it's not disrespectful. Or if somebody raises their hand, uh, um, that's actually what I enjoy. So I want to pray and ask for God's favor on the service right now. Lord, thank you so much for grace. Thank you for peace. Thank you for the way that you've shown kindness to us. Um, Abba Father, I ask for grace and favor on us right now. Because you are good, because you are kind. Thank you for the resurrection of your son. In him we have life, life that never ends. And I ask because you are good and kind that you bless this time right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, uh, Stephen, folks online, tell them honored that they've they've, uh, hopped on and tell them I need them to comment, question scriptures. And we'll all share that. All right. So I want to dig in on something. It's going to be a, a little bit unusual at first, but you'll see. I want to talk about lying. And you're like, what in the world does that have to do with the resurrection? You'll see. So there's a, uh, the first thing I want to say about lying is, first of all, it's a sin and all its forms of perversion. All right. So let's just knock that one out. Uh, it's a sin. It's a sin. It's a sin. It's a sin. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to kind of candy coat that or something like that. But, but what are some other reasons why we sin? Well, we sin, according to Paul Ekman, who's the, the dude that developed a big study on emotions, kind of a fascinating piece of work, what he did. But uh, a lot of people lie for emotional reasons. For example, to avoid punishment, uh, protection of self or someone else that we care about, or to maintain privacy. How you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm really fine. Really. Everything's fine. Um, we exercise power over others, manipulation, abuse, uh, to obtain a reward, you know. By the way, recently, uh, Tom James, uh, recently a kid was arrested for uh, 
for portraying that he was a police officer, pulling people over. This is just a couple days ago. So he pulls over a guy, and guess what? He's an off-duty cop. Surprise! Woo! You want some power and honor and glory? Well, welcome. You just pulled a cop over. We do it. We lie to win admiration. You know, those kinds of things. Um, We lie to avoid embarrassment or shame. That's a... That's a really common one on why we lie. So, all right. Um, I want to do this, uh, and we avoid the, to um, want to avoid awkward situations. Let's do this. Kids, we've got a lot of kids here. I want you to try to color a picture or write out what would a heart look like, okay, that was going to tell the truth. And, and what would a heart look like if it was going to, Lie, and I know it's hard. That's a hard. That's a hard assignment. Um, what does a heart look like that tells the truth in comparison to a heart that tells lies? Now we've got some sheets over there in the corner by uh, by Freddie. If you want to grab one of those and some crayons, it's fine for the kids to run and get that. That's fine. And uh, I, I want you to show me that at the end of the service. That'd be really good. Okay. So let's do a pop quiz. This is this is Peter. From Matthew 26, and Peter tells a lie. In fact, he tells a lie three times. The famous denial of Jesus, right? He denies him three times. Uh, I want to comment just a little bit. This is from Dr. DePaula. This is what she said about lying. In her research, she said, both men and women lie approximately a fifth of their social exchanges that last for more than 10 minutes. And she found out, or she, her study revealed that men lie more about themselves. Like, you know, my fish, my, the bass that I caught was bigger than your bass, kind of thing. And women tend to lie more about in an effort to not hurt the feelings of others. Um, this is interesting as well regarding lies and deception. Um, you guys, do you remember Enron? Remember the older folk, Enron? Yeah, the lying and the deception associated with Enron was $78 billion, took a $78 billion hit on the stock market because of lying and deception. Anybody remember Bernie Madoff? Remember him, Jackie, remember him? $65 billion Ponzi scheme. By the way, which is named after an Italian, his last name was Ponzi, who developed and practiced the art of deception. Lehman Brothers, their, uh, the, the investment cost $600 billion, billion in assets and led to the Department of Justice investigation, a mess. How about MF Financial, uh, which is Man Financial Global? Another example, $41 billion in assets before they failed and jail time for those dudes. What about the big one? Here's the big one. FTX. FTX. You guys guys know about this stuff. So FTX, uh, um, this is the dude, Sam uh, Bankman-Fried, and the cryptocurrency scandal funneling millions and millions of dollars buying homes in the Bahamas and literally damaging tons of lives destroyed because of people buying into this thing called cryptocurrency. It's horrible. They, uh, they extradited him out of the Bahamas and he is facing 
jail time for deception. Theranos, awesome. a 19-year-old girl, Elizabeth Holmes, started a company fraudulently with a new blood test. Uh, by the way, uh, GM, a new blood test, you know, and I know that's a part of what you do in your equipment. Um, the company failed $8 billion, like Wells Fargo, and it, it's crazy. Deception, scandal, lying. All right, pop quiz, why is Peter lying? Why is he lying? What's that? Big fear? Yeah, save his hide? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's look at this. Uh, this is a photo to, to try to get at the idea of how do you date a Greek manuscript? Is it late? Is it early? A late manuscript is going to come out of the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th century. An early manus- manuscript is going to come closer to the 1st century. Okay, does that make sense? Greek manuscripts? All right. Now, if you're, if you're a manuscript scholar and you specialize in Greek manuscripts, what do you think you're going to look for to say, ah, that's a dead giveaway, this one's late, 5th century? Or that's a dead giveaway that's close to the 1st century? What are you going to look for to, to see that? What's that? Materials, sure. You know, this, is it on vellum? Is it on papyrus? Or what else? What's it? Vocabulary. Vocabulary. Why? Well, as we see in America today, words change meanings. Uh, exactly. And so, if they're coming, if they say a word that is found uniquely in the fourth or fifth century and it's never used in the first century, that would be a really, really good argument. Anything else? There's a criteria called embarrassment. Embarrassment. Why would that reveal an earlier or late date? Because the original is unlikely to embarrass itself. Absolutely, Joe. If you're writing truthfully, if you're reporting facts, there's a much higher tendency for you to write about what's embarrassing than if you're writing late and you're trying to smooth things over. Make sense? Okay. Peter's the guy that walked on water, right? And he's denying Christ. So let's look at some things that have to do with the criteria of embarrassment. Look at this, Matthew 28. This is Resurrection Sunday after the Sabbath, which is on Saturday. The Romans had dispatched a team of soldiers to guard the tomb. Now, something that's important about those soldiers If you fail on your mission to guard a prisoner, what happens to the Roman soldier? You forfeit your life. And by the way, if you're a Roman of honor, you execute yourself, by the way. Yeah, that would be considered honorable. So an angel causes an earthquake. There is such a magnificent miracle that the men who are charged to guard the tomb are literally dumbfounded. They fall back, and the guard shook with fear and became like dead men. Verse 5, the angel said to the woman, or to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He's not here, for he's risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he was lying, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Is there anything embarrassing about that? 
Sabrina? Women. The key leaders that are charged with the task of reporting the resurrection are women. Where are the 12? Where are the men? They're hiding. So there's your first criteria for embarrassment. What's another? Keep going. Explain. No, no, I mean, they show some fear. Like a Roman soldier. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you want to, to market the fact that Roman soldiers failed on their mission? Why would you do that? What do you think Rome's going to do on that one? Not only retaliate on the soldiers, but retaliate on the people that are making Rome look bad. You know, do that. All right. So there's a lot going on here. All right. What about this one? Matthew 28. Now, by the way, this is post-resurrection. He's appeared to over 500. He's appeared to all the 12. The miracle of doubting Thomas, touching the wounds. All the miracles have taken place. Right? It's amazing. And the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated to them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. How embarrassing is that? <laughs> to doubt after all of that? Who was the doubter? Is it Thomas? He got to touch the wounds. He makes the great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, your Lord and God. How embarrassing is that? All right, we're going to see a video from the Babylon Bee. <laughs> and as you know, nobody does it like the Babylon Bee. And watch this Satirical skit on the idea. Some of you have already nodded this, Scott. You've seen it. Watch this. I need 100% participation for this to work. Yeah, everyone's here. All 12, 11. 11 of us. Oh, what's the plan? Well, as you know, Jesus is dead. But stick with me, stick with me, okay? Stick with me. I have a plan. We are going to steal his body. Okay, okay, I'm tracking with you. What's next? And then we're going to tell the whole world that you rose from the dead. Oh, <laughs> oh you know I'm in. I love it already. <laughs> all right, classic, classic. Then what? And then we're all going to get brutally murdered. Oh! Real, real quick. Oh, what? We get murdered. What's the problem? Uh, I, I like it. <laughs> I like it. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, Pete. I love me. A good hoax as much as the next guy, right? Right? Uh, uh, what's in it for us? Do we all get riches, fame, and fortune first? Right? No, no, get this. You're going to be hated, persecuted, and reviled for the rest of your life! Why would they do that? Eh? 
we somehow roll away the big stone that's in front of the tomb, obviously you have to move the rock first. Yeah. And then we steal his body. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess. Then we tell the whole world that he rose from the dead, and we get brutally murdered from trouble. Then we all get killed. Come on. When do we see ourselves become exalted in praise? That's just it. You don't! As only Babylon B can do, uh, that, yeah, that's hilarious. All right. Um, what's the point of that funny piece? What's the point? The idea. So once again, the uh, satirical genius and the prophetic edge of what the Babylon Bee is saying. That if you, you have to be either a fool, mentally ill, or almost want, it's kind of like death by cop, like a suicide mission, to tell that Jesus rose from the dead and that he's alive. Now, why would that why would that be a, a politically unwise thing to do? Why? Let's go back to the, the essentially why Jesus was arrested. Why was he arrested and executed? The reason he was going to overthrow Rome, and then he claimed to be God. Yes, to name a few. Um, did he enjoy the title Lord and Savior? Did they call him Lord and Savior, Sabrina? Yeah. Uh, guess what? Those actually were titles used to describe Caesar. Caesar was Lord and Savior of the earth. So he was arrested as a political enemy of the state of Rome. And he was arrested as a political enemy of the temple. And the Sadducees had had enough. Flipping tables. Exposing fraudulent abuse in the temple. You've got an Enron scandal right there in the temple, and Jesus exposes it. Okay. So he is a troublemaker from beginning to end, from the perspective of Rome and from the perspective of the Jews. Okay. And so if you say he's alive, 
that the troublemaker is alive and you say the troublemaker is worth following, you now become an enemy of the state and you will be targeted. And that's exactly what happened. And so you're either a fool and an idiot for doing that or you are so convinced that it really happened that you can't keep quiet about it. You can't keep the truth Silent. You have to speak up. Everybody turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And I want to show you how Paul handles this very question about resurrection. So 1 Corinthians 16. Paul says, Now I make known to you, Paul says, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. 1 Corinthians 15.1 Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and which you also stand, by which you are saved. The gospel is something that is preached. You receive it, you stand in it, you're saved by it. If you hold firmly to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, A.K. in Greek, it means empty, it means you've got nothing from the root a cost, which means you literally have no defense. You've got nothing. For I handed down to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Skip down to verse 12 here. Now, if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? It's a huge problem. How can we say he resurrected, and yet some believe there's no resurrection? Verse 13. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. It's in vain. It's foolish. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God. Because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised, Paul is saying if there's no resurrection, we got the whole thing wrong and we are false witnesses for God. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith, he takes it deeper. It's not just empty, it's worthless. And you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, Paul is saying, it's real. He did rise from the dead. It's not a lie. It's not a hoax. It's the truth. And our lives have radically changed. Everybody turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. I want you to see this. Colossians 3. 
And we're going to start at verse 1. This is what Paul says. Paul says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. In other words, Christ rose from the dead, and you will too. And that is why we, as Christians, have incredible hope. Because Jesus is alive. All right, Christ Church, I'm going to turn it over to you. You're the body of Christ. How has the life of Jesus changed you? How has the life of Jesus created hope in you? So that you no longer believe that you're just... It, this life on earth is as good as it's going to get. And that's it. You're the body of Christ. How has the resurrection of Jesus Christ made a difference in your life. It brings a lot of peace. Brings peace? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Margaret. What else? Who else? Or the simplicity of the gospel stabilizes your faith, stabilizes your day to day. At some point, everybody's going to let me down, according to my standards. Yeah. My wife, my son, my coworkers, my boss, everybody that means something to me in some capacity is going to let me down. Yeah. Jesus is not. The stability of him and God and what he did yeah. and how intimately connected to my life it is, how he reflects this, saying, go tell the disciples and Peter. You know, he, in Mark, he tells the women... Specifically calling out Peter, Paul says it here too. He has that moment with Peter. The specific specificity of his relationship with us, yes. for me specifically, helps me stay stable. Keeps yes. me from going off the deep end of like, why am I here? Oh, that's so good, Patch. Someone else. How has the resurrection of Jesus impacted your life, Lee? Without, without the resurrection, it validates everything you said. So, truth. Without the, the resurrection, without it, he's just making a bunch of crazy babbling statements. Yeah, just another religious pretender. Yeah, yeah. that's so good. Yes. Ooh, I like that word hope. Thank you so much. Let's talk about hope. So, if you guys uh, did a Google search in the DSM for the criteria that would lead to what's called post-traumatic stress and what trauma looks like, if you did a Google search on that, you'd find out that one of the key criterias for a potential diagnosis in PST is during the trauma, you have to have what's called hopelessness. You can't get out of it. Whatever the thing is that's harming you, you cannot stop it. 
Anybody taking a hint right now? Can you stop a tornado? No. That is one of the things that creates the idea when you have radical physical, emotional, psychological harm, right? When you are, there's no escape. You can't go anywhere. You can't run from it. And it creates the sense of helplessness and hopelessness that can move that person to a possible diagnosis with, with what's called post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. All right. Tornado has done unspeakable damage. In my neighborhood, uh, I don't know if you saw the story, uh, a young couple bought their home. They back the moving, remember this, Andrew? They back the moving truck up. They finish unloading the last piece of furniture. The truck's leaving. Eight minutes later, the storm destroys their house. Eight minutes. Yeah. Eight minutes. That's mind-bending. So, all right. Hopelessness will destroy us. Um, uh, if you want to break, if you want to psychologically break a man in prison, put him where? Solitary. You put him there, you're going to break a man. You break the woman. Yeah. The human heart thrives on hope. All right? And in Jesus Christ, God creates within us hope that upon death, we're going to live forever. We're going to, know the res- we're going to know the resurrection power. We're going to sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's no more tears. No more destroyed property. No more cancer. None of these things. But we have unspeakable hope. It's amazing. Someone else, why does the resurrection matter? The difference it makes in our lives. Absolutely. A changed life. Yeah. Have you ever considered what Paul exchanged when he believed and gave his heart to Jesus? He was the ultimate PhD of the day, brilliant, trained at the university in Tarsus, and I'm not kidding. He would be like having a PhD in Greek philosophy as well as a PhD in Judaism. That's, now you're getting it, Paul. Brilliant man. Pharisee of Pharisee, you know, just tribe of Benjamin, the most ideal set of credentials. And he said, I consider it all as being worthy to put on the skuas pile, the pile of waste. Yeah. You drive around Little Rock and you go by the Shackleford area or Kamek Village and you see these piles of waste and wreckage. Paul says, that's what I consider my human accomplishment. That's where they belong in that pile of waste, squats. But to know Christ and the power of his resurrection is everything to Paul. That's why I forget what's behind me and I press forward to what's in front of me, which is beautiful. Someone else, uh, Stephen, somebody online, anything? Okay. On why the resurrection matters. Jake. You know, I think 
you know, we talk a lot about hope and hope is all well and great. So people call me crazy for it, but through just the faith of knowing that I have something better coming ahead of me, I'm not afraid of the death, I'm not afraid of the tornado, I've run headlong into it. Yeah. To save others instead of caring about myself. Wow, that's so good. That's so good. Hope gives courage, doesn't it? By the way, if you want proof of what he said, that it's the truth, go read Hebrews 11. And the great hall, the great hallmark uh, of those men and women of faith. Philip. I think, too, the resurrection also is a big moment for us because the Holy Spirit has the opportunity to know and dwell in our hearts. Yeah, and, and they were so persuaded that they thought it was a good idea. It was a worthy exchange to believe the gospel and not, not be ashamed of the truth. So. And that is the gospel. That is the good news. Yes. You don't earn your hope. Uh, look at Acts 2. This is in Acts chapter 2. We, re- we have recorded the first sermon Peter preaches. And he says this. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man arrested, uh, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him from the dead, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Jesus could not be held in the grave. Peter is gone from the man who denied him, to the man who's saying, I know this man, I follow him, and he was resurrected. He would not hide it anymore. And at that point, Peter becomes a troublemaker. And he doesn't try to save his hide. Anybody else? One more. On why the resurrection matters. I think going back to the hope thing, this is from my experience, Without Christ, all you have to hope in is the best of the world. Yeah. And, and now, now you put it in the hands of fallible men and bad situations, bad luck, just whatever. Yeah. You know, but in the resurrection, we have a solid, unshakable, unchangeable foundation mm. to place our hope in. Yeah, yeah. You're quoting Hebrews, yes. An unshakable kingdom. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, by the way, what, Lee, what you're saying is true. But let's, let's say for the moment, if, if this is all we get, that's it. What are we going, what's the tendency if this is all we get? 
How are we going to behave on earth and as animals? And it's going to fully justify all the Ponzi schemes, all the scandals, all the lying, all the mess, and the ability to take advantage of somebody else. Greed unbridled is what's going to happen. Absolutely. Everybody turn to John 11. John 11, you know this story really well. Jesus loved John, the beloved. Uh, Jesus loved Lazarus. He was so close with Lazarus and, and his sisters. There's an exchange between Jesus and Martha. Verse 21, 11, 21. Martha said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise from the dead. Martha, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And Jesus asks her the key question. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and he who comes into the world. That is hope. So let me ask you the question. Do you believe? Are you a believer? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, a cruel, bloody mess of a broken man, hanging on the cross as full payment for the guilt of your sins. You ready? And for all the lies you've told? <laughs> Come on. If you say you've never told a lie, congratulations, you just lied. <laughs> yeah. We're all liars. All of us. Do you believe as, as many have said, and Sloan, you just said, that forgiveness and hope is found in Jesus only. You don't generate self-righteousness. You don't generate hope. It is all based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. No flesh will be justified by works. Do you believe if you have never put your faith in Jesus a prayer is going to be something like this and it's got to come from your heart not from mine it's going to be something like you're saying God I confess my sins I'm, an, I'm not going to lie about my lying I confess my sins openly to you I'm asking you to forgive me I believe you died on the cross for my sins I believe you are the one that gives me life I'm accepting you I want you on the inside Accepting you as my Lord, as my Savior, my forgiver, the one who, who literally changes my life. I follow you now. And you ask him with all the sincerity that you can, like that of a child. You do that and you are born again. It's a gift that he gives. Because anyone who turns to him, he will not cast out. And those who believe, he gives them the right to become the sons and daughters of God. I want us to just get quiet for just a minute. And if that's a prayer you need to pray, I want you to pray that right now. Okay, let's get quiet.
Abba, Father, if there's anybody here who prayed that prayer, that you would, you'd so encourage them and you'd open up their eyes to the new birth that they received in you. You'd call them to follow you and to be a part of your church. Father, for those of us who struggle with doubts, thank you that you meet us where we are and you help turn our doubts into a determined faith and we believe and we will not, we will not hide the truth. We will not lie about what is true. Abba, Father, thank you so much for life in your son. In his name I pray. If you prayed to be a Christian, I want you to talk to me right at the end of the service and we'll, we'll share about it. We'll pray again, okay? Thank you guys so much. Stephen, come lead us in worship.